in uh, a recent article, Time Magazine put down pop music, and they referred to uh, Day Tripper as being about a prostitute, oh, yeah. and Norwegian Wood about as being about a lesbian. Oh, yeah. Now, I just wanted to know what what your intent was when you wrote it, and what sh what your feeling is about the Time Magazine criticism of the music that is being written today. We well, were just trying to write songs about prostitutes and lesbians. That's all. <laughs> show something like that and uh hello greetings i am dave Juskow. it is the august 11th edition of the podcast and welcome to it i don't know what i'm doing this is the first time i i mean if you're listening i am doing this on zoom because uh as i said last week i have a guest and uh i just wanted to get started i'm turning the music off because i i don't even know how to deal with it it's um this is this is crazy. This is crazy. And if you see me, like, uh, if, 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 I believe I'm going to put this up on YouTube. So um, my camera is set up on the top of my monitor. So it always looks like I'm looking down. I have to look directly into the camera to make it look like I'm looking at you, which I am. But it's annoying when I'm on a Zoom call because I look down and it just, if I look at somebody, it just looks, it looks like I'm falling asleep, which, of course, is the worst thing that can happen. And I'm just assuming I'm recording this and forgot to put my uh, phone in airplane mode, which we always like to do. And now it is done. So yes, uh, we are expecting a, a guest today and a lot of fun for the first time since the pandemic. I'm not counting my niece Dory as, as the guest. I mean, of course I am. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but I um, will be having a guest in Mike Sauter and he will be coming on soon. I thought we would talk a little first I mean, I'm so confused about doing something like this. You know, I prefer to just sit in my apartment and uh, do it, you know, my own way where you can't see me and I can't see you and we're just, uh, you know, talking amongst ourselves. But here we are on video. I'm still talking to myself and I'm in my apartment, but I use the Seinfeld background as my apartment and I've, I think I've told you before how hilarious it is when people actually think it's my apartment this is probably one of the most iconic backgrounds you could use and yet there are many people who are like your apartment looks great i'm like, even sarah silverman who's been to my apartment who's commented on my apartment on the podcast multiple times has said boy your apartment looks great but that just doesn't make any sense at all I also have a fan on which i'm hoping you can't hear you know how a stickler i am for sound that's why i have no idea if this is going to work it's a chance we're taking. That's why I'm glad I'm using, um, you know, a friend uh, for my first time Zoom guest on something like this, which, uh, you know, I just had to finally give up and say, listen, you know, nobody's going to come over for a long time. I mean, maybe they will, but not like somebody I haven't met before. 
And I'm certainly not going to go to Pittsburgh anytime soon. And I don't think Mike is coming here. So I got to step it up. And then I can have, you know, plenty of guests, uh, people from L.A. and stuff like that. You know, we can uh, have Chris Regan back on from Family Guy, who was uh, great when we went to L.A. And, and Sarah again. I mean, we can, you know, with if we do the Zoom thing, we can, we can expand. Even though I know you love when we do it by ourselves. Now we're going to just try this. Obviously, I will be looking down at my my notes and stuff because you know how I love stuff on paper. And uh, that's the story. You know what's funny? Oh, so, uh, well, no, you know what? I'll wait to, uh, until Mike comes on. I'll tell you a couple of things that happened this week. It's really funny. My sister and I went to Rhoda's um, house, my mother on Thursday to clean up her basement, which she doesn't go down to anymore. But we talked about this, you know, she has that, that Sheldon Cooper, big bang theory guy, uh, thing that knowing that there's a mess down there, which of course it's not, um, it's only a mess to somebody who is just the cleanest person in of all time. Um, you know, it's, it's not a mess in any way, but we went there on Thursday clean up, and I said, listen, you know, do you want me to call a place to have them take out the furniture and to have them, you know, we'll clean it out as if you're either dead or moving. And she said, no, no, we got to keep it. And I'm like, why? Who's coming over there? She goes, you know, in case you move back in. And then I, uh, I got a little flustered and I said, uh, oh, well, that's not going to happen. And then I was like, I couldn't say it with conviction because it could happen, but still I, I don't think I'd want to stay. I'm afraid of basements. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the Manson families down there, you know, the Leopold and Loeb, the, the moths on the screen. But um, in this climate, I mean, who, you know, uh, I haven't worked in a year. I mean, besides the Gaffigan gigs, uh, which are few and far between, I guess I could move back in with my mother. I I don't want to, but uh, it's a possibility, I guess. So, you know, but it's um, funny. And, you know, when I said to Beth, I'm like, you get this. She's like, no, I don't want to clean it up in case, you know, I move back in. And she was like, well, you know, that's I'm like, oh, shut up. I'll do everything in my power for that not to happen. Although it kind of would be great not paying rent, but I'm not paying rent anyway. Because, you know, nobody is. Nobody has any money left. I paid up until June and that's about it. That's just one month that I'm lacking. But, um, you know. Uh, I, I signed up for the program to possibly, uh, you know, give a guy a break. There's a lot of us. So that was interesting. I will also tell you this hilarious thing. And it's actually, I, you know, this is the kind of stuff I should probably just wait for Mike to come on. Cause I think he'll like it too. And he always has good things to say. Um, yeah, we're going to talk most of the stuff I wrote down. I just kind of knew I was having him on. And um, what was I saying about my, Hair, well, now you can see my hair is really well. You can't really tell. I use the background because my apartment, you know, hasn't been cleaned in five months, so I'm really, really a little embarrassed by it. And uh, oh, I don't even have a tie. I should probably be uh, counting down to how. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just all uh, confused today because it's the first time. I just hope that this is coming out good, and that you know people are. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm very confused. Uh, I'll just um, tell you, I was reading the post today and people are 
you know, look, I can even show it to you. People are leaving. They call it the Upper West Slide. People are leaving. There's too many homeless and not just homeless that people are worried about, but people are shooting up. People are, you know, masturbating and uh, everybody's moving out. And the way they put it, because I've been talking about this, is that, um, you uh, well, it's it's almost gone. You know, I mean, New York will not be, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. It's all, if people on the Upper West Side are moving out, well, that's, of course, who I guess leaves first, the, the wealthy. And then uh, the, the people like me will leave second. And then there's people lesser than me. And I, I mean that in the best way. Um, who will leave third, and then that'll be the end of New York City. Can you believe it? This is a city that always bounces back. Oh, but what they were saying was that, you know, oh, the, well, uh, there's two things. The restaurants, if they don't open them up, they were saying this in the, in the post today, and obviously this is the news, New York will be dead. That'll be the end of New York. If you can't go inside a restaurant by September, that'll pretty much finish off the greatest city in the world because I mean that, you know what, who can survive? If the restaurants aren't open, who's coming to New York? What is there to do here? When our friend Jessica pilot says, I'm coming back to New York. I say, why? For what purpose? What? She's like, I want to see friends. I'm like, name one. She's like, well, I said, besides me. She had one other friend. I'm like, where, where are you going to go? Where you want to meet at a restaurant? I mean, yeah, we can eat outside, but she's coming back in September. What's the point? We don't even know whether we can be outside. I mean, it's, I don't want anything to open up. I'm enjoying the way it is, you know, no fear of missing out. Although this past weekend, Attell was at Governor's and he did not invite me to open for him. You know who uh, opened for him was our friend Olga. I can't be mad at that. But I think he, you know, was very jealous that I was doing the Gaffigan gigs. And he said, oh, he doesn't need this. Meanwhile, I'm okay with that. I didn't want to go anywhere anyway. But now that was my first taste of missing out because Attell and Olga were together and it's all coming back. And I had a bad night, you know, as I got tight. And that is not where I want to be. Thank you. So I would just assume if really nothing opens up, but then... Uh, Really, we're not going to be able to handle any more of things just not opening up. It's just not going to work. I mean, I heard they're going back to schools. And you know what they're doing? This is the weirdest thing I just read today. They're making people take shampoo courses when you work at a salon. And I'm talking about, I mean, I have the article here. It's exciting to see, you know, <laughs> me actually at work, right? No, you have to take... To complete a minimum of 500 hours of a 1,000-hour course in cosmetology to learn to shampoo somebody's head. Now, these are people that are like, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old, just looking for a part-time job after school or summer school. What? Are you guys crazy? Are they trying to just get rid of any way to make a living? I don't know who's in charge of that, but that somebody's going insane and it ain't cool. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I am still, uh, Oh, I'll tell you this one other thing too, before Mike comes on. Um, I sent out an Instagram today, you know, I worked really hard at it. In fact, I should probably just show you the video. I believe I could probably do that. Um, 
Now, maybe you saw it. It was on Instagram, and it's me with the dogs and do the Brady Bunch thing. And, um, and this is the weirdest thing. I put it on. Everything's fine. And then an hour later, there's a, a, th- there's a laugh track. You know, I say, well, Bernie, I use my puppet Bernie. Um, you know what they say? You can't fight City Hall. And, and, you know, he says something and I go, and then there's a laugh, there's a little bit music and then a laugh track and then the song, but the laugh track is cut out like Instagram just cut out this very small portion of the laugh track. I put it up three different times and each time after an hour, only that part gets cut out. And it was driving me crazy because I was so proud of this thing. I edited it. It took me a long time. And all of a sudden, it just got cut out. And I just can't for the life of me. I tried to call them. I've emailed them. I've DM'd them to find out why. I mean, if you tell me it's a rights issue, I get it. But how could it be a rights issue if they let me play the entire Brady Bunch theme at the end? It's just the canned laughter that's the rights issue? really weird uh let's admit mike and i'll uh find it for you everybody coming to the stage coming to the stage it's mike sauter everybody hello why hello there dave how you doing i'm all right i just did 15 minutes uh you know by myself it was very exciting yeah nerve-wracking <laughs> it's fun and then i was going down my list of stuff today even though i knew i was going to have you on so i didn't make it extensive and I'm like, oh, no, you know what? I'll wait till Mike gets here. And then I see something. I'm like, well, he won't understand. You know what? I'll wait till Mike gets here. So, you know, because um, Mike is the greatest. Mike is the station manager at WYEP, which I finally got right, right? The call yeah, letter. correct. Yes. 93.1 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Technically 91.3. What? It's 91.3? Yep. Oh, you know who's 93.1? I think that's Amy Robbins. Oh, that could be up in Syracuse. My old girlfriend in Syracuse. Yes, I'm sorry. You know what? Look at me. I'm such an idiot. I finally got the call letters right, and then I got the numbers wrong. 91.3. Yes. You well, know, I got inspired by the right. in the background there because I bought one myself, but I thought it would be too loud, so I put it on the couch, and I'm not feeling anything. I'm going to start sweating. Oh, yeah. Well, it's uh, I'm I'm on the top floor of my house, so if I don't have fans, I... I'll, uh, no, I got to work this out. You know, I'm still trying to work it out. I told everybody like when I'm, I can, when I have to stare into the camera because otherwise, if I'm looking at you, it just looks like I'm falling asleep. <laughs> that but happens I, a lot to yeah. me. <laughs> Does it? Uh, wait, I wanted to tell you something. Well, I want to tell you a bunch of stuff. Obviously, first of all, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, oh, I know. I was telling everybody what happened to me on Instagram. I think I can show it. Um, let me just, I'm just going to get it from my uh, stuff. It's uh, did you see the Instagram post I put out yesterday or this week? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Well, let me see if this is the, all right, I'm going to share my screen. So now you can see this, right? Yes. Okay. So here it is, right? Here's the problem. Well, you know what they say, Bernie? What? What what they said? You can't fight city hall. I don't get it. <laughs> All right, so you can hear that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear yeah. the laughs and the music. Uh, yeah, I heard it. That got cut out of Instagram. Oh, really? Just that part, the laughs and the music. You hear a high-pitched sound, and then, of course, it goes into this. 
So <laughs> that is what I had credits put in too with Colin Quinn and Sam Morell, like, you know, cast members. But isn't it weird that just that one section got cut out? They kept, like, if it was a rights issue, they kept the Brady Bunch theme, but just took out the canned laughter. What is this? Mash? Sometimes, I mean, <laughs> come on. Like there, there's uh there's so many weird rules and or uh, you know automatic algorithms they have with technology that it's 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 a wonder anything gets through. I just it's just so it was so disappointing because I put so much time and effort into it, and um, you know I was just so distraught. Like I put it up the next day again, and you know because everybody's not seeing the full version, and I can't keep trying it either. Because then everybody gets a notice that it's up and people are just getting annoyed. Yeah. Well, sometimes uh, since, you know, Instagram may have a different algorithm than YouTube, which has a different algorithm than Facebook. So, you know, see, see which, uh, which one keeps it and then you can just link to it. Well, Facebook kept it and I'm sure YouTube will keep it. It's just, I'm going to just never know. I'm going to hey, up uh, my YouTube channel. Yeah, sorry. Uh, speaking uh, of of interesting uh, little tidbits of stuff, I I have some um, uh, some some audio to share with you. This is not uh, name that tune. Oh. This is something completely different. Well, no, I have that too, uh, but I have something completely different. I want to uh, share with you if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. I think. Okay, um, you oh, do to, I have to? Yeah, you got to uh, uh, hit the security thing to let me. Oh, the security share thing. screen. I think I did. There we go. All right. So let me share with yeah, audio, audio is probably best since this goes on the podcast. Yeah. It's, this is only uh, audio. The, the video is not very exciting at all, but um, I made, I, I did some, uh, some, some radio style uh, IDs for you. And you definitely put the sound is shared by the computer too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Right, let's take it. Let's your um, radio IDs are amazing. All right. Well, I, I have a handful of them. So if you want to do listen to them now, or if you just want to sprinkle them throughout, that's well, fine. actually you, we don't have. Oh, you do have to share the screen, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, you do have to. Unfortunately, Here, here's um, here's the first one. Razzle, dazzle. The Night Fly with David Juskow. Start program right now. Razzle, dazzle. No, you're flying. Oh, I'm going, baby. I'm going. Oh, are you gonna be sorry? <laughs> that's fantastic that's i like just, the stripes oh yeah there's you a little uh com- a little computer voice uh for that one you want to want to do more yeah of course you're okay. the best <laughs> nightfly nightfly dave jaskow I just love that little golf clap. That Everybody <laughs> likes a golf clap. Yeah, you got to have I don't that. Know, you said you've told me before that these are easy to put together for you. I just I cannot understand how that's possible. <laughs> I just I just last night I just uh, threw a bunch of them together. It's I mean, some some of it is easy because I have little bits and pieces from many years of working in radio. So, right. So it's it's easy to put together. This just in. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Mud. <laughs> the Nightfly with Dave Juskow. <laughs> That's great. You Anything know, Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. As uh, as I was putting these together, I was thinking, like, these are fun, and I know you, you'll enjoy them, but, like, you know, where the hell will you use them in the show? <laughs> you, know, well, you know, it's not like uh, there's, a, you know, like breaks you need to take and... Well, sometimes there is. Sometimes I like taking a break. Sometimes I like to say, we'll be right back. 
<laughs> that's true. That's always fun. I, yeah. You know, years ago, I um, had to introduce a musician on stage, and they were doing two sets uh, at this club this one night. And um, <laughs> I, I got to introduce them on stage for both of them. And it was really funny because um, I, I went up on stage to introduce for the second time. And after so many years of uh, watching uh, the musical guest on Saturday Night Live, I was just so uh, ridiculously happy to just say, like, ladies and gentlemen, once again, here is <laughs> <You know what laughs> <I announced? laughs> because it just felt like Saturday Night Live. Isn't that the best? Remember I always I remember that my favorite one ever was when um, Patrick Stewart was the <laughs> guest. The music was in the 90s. The musical guest was uh, Salt and Pepper. Right. So just to hear him, ladies and gentlemen, once again, <laughs> Salt and Pepper. Right. That was you so know, much fun. It's funny that you say that because whenever I watch Saturday Night Live and I fast forward through the commercials, when the musical guest is coming on, I always um back up if i've got where they just get the music because i want to see the introduction because i want to see if in fact it is the host saying it or sometimes it's a special guest star so let's say like if martin short or somebody or somebody's in the opening scene you know that just came on or uh, a good example would be uh who's the uh curb your enthusiasm uh, larry david yeah you know sometimes he plays bernie sanders right like sometimes they would have him introduce the band or that person. So I never want to miss it. And then the best was, you know, when Sarah was hosting, Sarah Silverman was hosting Saturday Night Live, and I've told this on the podcast before, um, you know, when we were there and it was live and she was getting ready to do our favorite thing. Uh, Maroon 5 was the guest. And she says, uh, uh, don't fuck it up, Adam. And uh, he's like, I'll try not to. And then they cut in, you know, in three seconds and said, and uh, once again, <laughs> but it was great. The banter beforehand was really funny that, uh, you know, something came up. So then you get a little insight on, you know, the pre and once again, you know, which is fun. That's always uh, so cool when you get that, um, you know, any, any opportunity to get that sort of like backstage or behind the scenes sort of insight onto performers. Isn't it the best? Uh, yeah. Well, there was, um, you know, uh, Harry Shearer has uh, a weekly radio show uh, on public radio stations. And um, he, he's been doing it for years and years. And he used to originate out of um, the station uh, KCRW in uh, Santa Monica. And um, he, Does he do um, it in London now. Well, he, his um, home base, I mean, he still lives in LA, but he, his yeah. home base for his show is in New Orleans now, but he, he kind of splits his time between New Orleans, LA, and he goes to London frequently. As, right. and I'm, I'm, friend, I'm friendly with his best friend, which is Dan Filato, uh, who used to manage uh, Artie Lang. Oh, okay. So we talk about Harry a lot. Well, he is, uh, he, he loves the whole radio thing it's not just an outlet for his creativity i mean he just really loves uh, oh it's so know, obvious he used to do those saturday night live radio bits all the time yeah absolutely and he's got that voice and so when he used to host on this other show on this station originally um he was doing it when he was in town he was doing it live from the studio and so if you listened to the you know the the, the version that went out to all the other radio stations around the country that aired it or if you listened as a podcast you wouldn't get this but if you were streaming the, the, that station over the internet live, you would often hear him do like uh, the legal ID 
for the station. Really? You know, the top of the hour. And, it, you know, yeah. it's a public station. So they, they have a lot of like, um, so it's like, you know, uh, you know, 91.9 in uh, Oxnard Ventura, you know, like they it would just <laughs> kind of like run through this list of frequencies and, and, you know, of course in his voice. And then even occasionally like reading a public service announcement or something, um, which, you know, sounds like, you know, well, Harry Shearer, he's probably going to make fun of whatever he's reading because he's so such a, you know, sarcastic kind of a guy. But like, I think he just loves the radio. No, he's like us, you and me trying to get that perfect radio voice that we grew up on and totally into, you know, trying to get that voice going like a WYEP 91.3 Pittsburgh. You know, I mean, we're trying yeah. to get that, that, that guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Who Harry mean, I- Shearer has that perfect voice. Yeah, without a doubt. And one time he was talking, another uh, thing that gave me insight into the way his mind works was he was doing a parody of um, Paul Harvey, right. uh, late uh, radio broadcaster. And, and he was doing, you know, the, a Paul Harvey voice. And after he was done, he said, you know, the one, for anything you say about Paul Harvey, uh, he certainly used his entire range because, you know, he would always do, you know, Paul Harvey, he'd do like those high pitched kind the of high pitch and then the pauses. Right? And then and, and also, you know, going deep, you know, and you could tell like that, that I don't think um, Harry Shearer appreciates what, you know, Paul Harvey did that much. But he as a broadcaster, he certainly appreciated that, like the technical aspect of what he did. Yeah. Um, well, I you know, I could probably at this point, I mean, if the Zoom, if this all works, I he might. You know, I could probably get him to come on the show. <laughs> I mean, Dan's always been telling me, he's like, you know, would you want Harry Shear to come on your show? And I say, what are you, is this a joke? I would, but I, I think he's, I, I feel like uh, I've heard he's very angry. So I don't know, you know, I'd be nervous. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he um, a, he's very serious. I, I, I would imagine if things didn't go right, it could go south very quickly. Yeah. Right. And I'd be a little bit, um, nervous about that <laughs> because if memory serves wasn't he a an, a cast member on saturday night live for yes, two separate that, occasions but not for a complete season either time oh is that right i don't know about the complete season but that's when he would do that radio the late night radio guy which of course we love which is of course what the night fly is supposed to be based on from the night fly album from donald fagan and you know we love i mean mike mike and i went to college together and mike i mean mike Sodder has been a DJ since the day I met him. Uh, I mean, was this was this always your plan? Like, um, it must be right. I mean, like pretty much. I mean, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, 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 from from when I was uh, a kid, I always wanted to be in radio. I was I was into before I got into music. I actually got into radio. Um, I when I was like, you know, nine years old, I started listening to like a talk radio call-in show. And there was this um, uh, like kind of a revival of like the old time radio kind of a thing, a radio drama called the CBS radio mystery theater mm-hmm. uh, hosted by EG Marshall. And um, it was on AM radio stations in the seventies and early eighties uh, often late at night. And so I, I got into listening to that. And so I, I really appreciated, you know, the medium of radio. But it's like, I can't remember a time when you weren't in radio. And so when Mike yeah. and I were in school, he was younger than me. You know, he just really got into the, you know, and as you know, for the last couple of weeks, he's been sending me songs that I can play because he was a, you know, um, our other friend, John Weber, became the station manager of this thing. And he and Mike single-handedly turned the station from, 
you know, 38 special and uh, stuff to alternative rock, which was supposed to be what a college station, even it was that bummed me out, but that's what a college radio station is supposed to be. And these two guys turned it around and started playing the stuff that we were playing last week that, you know, only John Hughes had heard of and Mike and John Weber. And it's fascinating. And then um, Mike went on to be the morning DJ at WHTG in New Jersey, which while Mike was the morning DJ had its highest ratings in 93 and 94. And this was a station that had been around since 84. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it went, uh, we, it was a good, it was a good time to get into, uh, you know, the, the commercial radio station, alternative rock kind of a, um, well, as we know, there was WLIR, which was the most famous of all, even though when you think about it, it's not famous at all, but it was famous because it was this very small Long Island station, which started playing, uh, bands like Duran Duran and human league, which no one had heard of. Am I right, Mike? Yeah, I mean they well they were well known in the East Coast because their signal could get into New York City. So a um, little bit, a little barely, bit, I mean, depending on know. where you were. I mean, it's but just when, like uh, HTG could get into New York, you know, Staten Island a little. Because I tried and, really and, hard to get it, knowing you were on the. I could not get it in the morning, maybe late at night. Yeah, there were so. various times, uh, various locations you you could get it, but uh, also there was um, KROQ, the original K Rock, which was in LA. Um, they were pretty early on as well, but, but HTG was in the handful of like original alternative stations. Right. Well, I only know about the East coast ones, obviously, but then that the LIR is famous. There's even a documentary about it. And then HTG was a good, you know, Jersey one, which I could get clear and, um, you know, became, uh, actually you guys probably took over LIR wasn't even around when you were, they were already gone by the time you were on. Well, LIR turned into WDRE and then. Uh, DRE lasted for a while. I'm, I don't even know if they changed back to LIR, but yeah, eventually. So I, you guys were the only ones in town. Like you, you were there when Nirvana and ever all that kind of stuff started. And yeah, LIR was already gone. And, and, and Mike of course, was the Morning Man, which was like the biggest, biggest deal. Well, it was the biggest deal. Although, as I used to say, like you know, going up against Howard Stern in his home market was not exactly uh, easy to do. But um, our our most well known, perhaps, uh, alumnus from the station was Matt Pinfield, who right. left in '94 to go to MTV, and um, certainly he found a lot of uh, fame for doing that. Well, that was the amazing thing, right? Matt Pinfield was on, which was like uh, you know high honor, and he was still a friend of the station all those years when he was on MTV too, right? Oh yeah, he came back like in '98. He came back and uh, he was doing. Um, they 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 had like a summer beach house uh, that MTV was broadcasting from at the Jersey Shore that summer, and he he had a show called Say What, where like the big thing about the show was like running the lyrics over the video because you know half the time people can't understand what what you know what the lyrics of songs are. So um, everybody was, knows you know, I have a problem with that. Well, and it, this was like. <laughs> before i mean obviously the internet was around and people were using it by 98 but it was like you know still not easy to get song lyrics um for for a lot of songs so anyway he he came to he came to the old station and and shot a show there so that was uh that was pretty he was always very nice to me too and you you know introduced me to him which was exciting because he was a pretty cool guy and i used to go see him as well as you spin 
records, as they used to call it, um, sometimes at uh, clubs in Jersey, New Brunswick, or you in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, our favorite story. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. But it was so funny. Uh, I would go down and see Mike a lot. Um, you know, sometimes I'd stay up all night and drive down there so I could see him, you know, at six, seven o'clock in the morning. And I would go and they had a little trailer at this place right off the parkway. Like a, that's where the radio station was in a trailer, right? In a, in a goddamn, well, it was, oh, no, it was like a, a little ranch. house. It, it was, was like a, little, a ranch house. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there was a trailer so. on the other side that somebody lived in. Right. But it was, it was, was, it was actually, it was. it was a total mom and pop radio station. Um, the call letters of the station were the one, the, the, the woman who owned the station when I worked there, it was her parents initials. Oh, and, and she actually lived in like one end of this ranch house. I mean, it literally was a station that started as a kitchen table operation. I mean, the, 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 the front office, uh, you know, that you walk into is, was, you know, probably the living room of the yeah. house. And I used when, to hang out there a lot. And then, you know, I just sit in the reception area. Well, cause that receptionist was ridiculously hot and, um, I would just hang out there and sometimes we, you know, you'd bring me on the air and it was super fun. And, um, I don't know that. I mean, I was, it seemed like I was there a lot. Yeah, it was fun. I always enjoyed whatever you would drop by because it just gave me an excuse to when I got off the air at 10 o'clock to go out and get get breakfast and and coffee at a diner. Yeah, it was so much fun and it was exciting to be a part of, you know, this, uh, you know, this era and the music and stuff. And then, you know, everybody that worked there was like really nice because, you know, you had to want to work there. You know, you yeah. had to, like you had to love music and radio to work there because it, it the working conditions were awful. I mean, yeah, I we had like the the we had a green carpet in in uh, the front office that it was a lot of there was a lot of uh, rips in it that were repaired by green duct tape and <laughs> I mean we had literally for a while had paper clips hanging holding together the the on air board and. <laughs> We got paid so little that every time um, New Jersey would raise the minimum wage, everybody would get a bump up in pay. And yeah, you know, it, it yeah. Was, yeah, and then and even where you were recording was like Joe Franklin's old office. It was like <laughs> full of CDs and albums, and you were sitting pretty much on a crate, weren't you? Were you uh, in a chair? We we did have a stool for that, but for when I, when I first started there, there was like literally like a, a, a like a, one of those ancient steel milk crates yeah that's what i thought right (laughs) what they were using for an on a chair in the on-air studio it was uh completely unacceptable (laughs) and you know the part about mike what i'm just trying to you know point out while he's here is that you have to understand that you know the people that you know yes there was howard stern but the people that liked music and appreciated the kind of music mike was playing worshipped mike I have several friends that couldn't even believe that I knew Mike because they would listen to that station and love that station and loved you. And well, they I was so excited to meet you. And I'm like, really? This guy? You know. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that's not to say that I didn't get my share of, uh, you know, uh, hate mail or actually in those days it was uh, like you get hate faxes. Um, Why? Oh, you know, that's just, that's the nature of the beast. People are always going to hate, you know. Well, but why would they hate you? Because they hated your stupid voice? Or um, they just hated what you were playing that day? You know, I, one of my, I actually have You were like couple, the least controversial person I've ever met on the radio. I used to get, well, occasionally I would get some hate calls when I would say something like, okay, sometimes, you know, when you, I, I think I told you this story about how I, I made, was making fun of after the uh, Marv Albert 
uh, uh, situation when he got, uh, I forget yeah. what was going on, but he kind of got disgraced with some right. sexual Stuff thing. That or seems lame now. Well, I know. And, <laughs> and I was talking about it and joking about it on the air. And, and I'm sure every single morning host in the country was doing that. But it just so happened that, uh, you know, we were a small station and I guess it was Marv Albert's brother was driving, you know, we being in New Jersey, he close to New York, we actually had a lot of people who, of prominence who would, who would listen, you know, like Springsteen used to listen reportedly and, you know, hey, stuff Mike, like I don't appreciate you talking about Marv Albert like that. that <laughs> no, but it was that Marv Albert's right. brother <laughs> called me up to chew me out for making fun of his brother. And I'm like, you're, what are you calling me just cause you can get through on the phone, <laughs> you know? Um, but no, I did, um, I I saved uh, uh, my very first piece of hate mail, and I saved one other one uh, that somebody was very, they just didn't like my style on the air, and they called me a um, just a, a David Letterman ripoff, and I was so happy. That made me so happy that somebody called me a David Letterman ripoff because I was a huge fan of his, and I was like, well, if that's coming across, then something's working right. <laughs> That's so funny, and I'm sorry for sending you that letter, but I know that you, um, you know, would like that technically, so you're welcome. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, you but, know, I forensically traced it back to someone else, Mister. So it wasn't you. <laughs> I had um, what did I? I had some here. I had the. Uh, let's see if this works. Can you see this? It's a video. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm Mike Sauter. I've been uh, your host for this special two-hour edition of uh, HTG Old School, and I just wanted to uh, say thanks for listening. It's It's been fun to sit in on HTG Old School at this point in time, just four months shy of my 10-year anniversary on these airwaves at a station the likes of which never was before and will likely never be again. But in the words of Herman Melville, stand up amidst the general hurricane, thy one-tossed sapling cannot. And so it goes with Modern Rock at the Jersey Shore, FM 106.3. That's when they, that was the day they went off the air, right? Well, the station got sold uh, from the uh, you know the the solo owner who owned it to a more corporate um, entity, and uh, they they kept it nominally as alternative, but it was a lot. It was it was not the same. But you pretty but that. but you did the sign off. Yeah, I did. Well, the we we. I mean, that's kind of show. an honor. Oh, well, I was the program director, so it was my choice. You know, like I got to pick. <laughs> but see, uh, we, we had a show uh, we had started called HTG Old School, and it was running every Friday night. Um, and it was just all like kind of, um, you know, uh, like 80s stuff. Like, you know, you've been playing on the show in recent weeks. And so it was just kind of like, um, you know, old, early uh, alternative rock and new wave and punk and stuff. And the um, there was a guy who hosted the show week in, week out. But when we knew the station, we weren't allowed to talk about the actual sale of the station and when the you know Isn't ownership was going to change. Right. And and so it just so happened it was on a Friday night that that the that era of the the, the station ended. So we made this special edition of you know um, of, of this program, and we couldn't say anything about it. You know that it was the the final broadcast. Uh, from that that studio and it's that so that ridiculous, era. right? That you oh, and it, well, it gets it's even more annoying than that. But it was, but people kind of got it, and we were, you know, playing clips of like old interviews, like especially we we had a bunch of interviews um, uh, recorded of people like um, Blind Melon, you know, with um, Shannon Mike. Are Boom. these people that came uh, into that small house? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Really? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it was uh, when Blind Melon came in. They had a reporter for. 
Uh, Rolling Stone magazine. No, it was. No, I'm doing Annie Hall. Right, yeah. He's a reporter uh, from Rolling Stone magazine. Rolling Stone. Um, imagine my surprise, Max. Um, no, I think it might have been some year olds, like Wait, details. That out. Okay. It's like details magazine or something like that. It wasn't strictly a music magazine, but um, uh, and they totally made the DJ look like an idiot. And this, uh, it wasn't me, but but the poor oh, guy got goodness. you know like portrayed as being like such a tool oh, sucks uh, in this thing. But anyway, yeah, like like we had. In our studio was was tiny, tiny, and we had a on air microphone, and um, we had a morning newscaster, and we had another microphone that the newscaster would use. And so when we have, would have guests in, we just had those two microphones, and sometimes bands would come in and perform. Uh, in <laughs> they, wait, studio. they perform in that where because I've been in your station, you've put me on the air before. Remember, even me and my friend Kevin Cash came in the time to promote the odd couple in 1999 oh, yeah. it was and you're yeah. saying bands would perform in that small little room it was like 10 feet by 12 feet maybe the room and that's with a you know it was about as console big as and what equipment I'm seeing behind and your head right what's now that? i mean it's as big as what i'm seeing behind your head right now i mean oh it's but this is much bigger than what we had i mean it's um yeah it was tiny but we would have like whole bands in there performing and uh, somehow it uh, usually sounded okay. Um, wow. But, but uh, yeah, like so, who, uh, who else came to this sm- little tiny, small station? Like who else? Uh, if, if you actually who else slept with the receptionist there, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Folks. Uh, I, I, you know, I, she I plead so the fifth high. on that. Um, although, <laughs> you know, there, there might've been, well, anyway, there were so many suitors. It was really tough to get in there. I tried. Yeah, there was, I, I remember um, right before I started working there, there was a band who came in, for an interview and then they you know played they they did some conversation bit and then they played a song off the cd and they weren't going to perform live uh they played a song off the cd and then when they came back one of the band members wasn't in the studio because they the the other band members kind of were making fun of him saying like oh he's out in the front office because he's hitting on the receptionist that girl was hot i think yeah i think we did a video together once um we, you know, we came, I, I used to follow her around. <laughs> she was Wait that hot. It was totally worth it. I can't remember her name for the life of me. I suppose you can't either, huh? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you uh, after we record. I see. So, oh, right, right, right. That, you right. Know, yeah, I, I thought you were going to say like what she's been doing now or something. You don't, I mean, don't keep in touch with her, do you? I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, well, uh, oh, to good. a certain extent. So see what she looks like. And anyway, uh, uh, but I remember, don't you remember that story where we're in, New Brunswick one day, I guess you were spinning or Matt Pinfield, one or the other. It was at the Melody in New Brunswick. Yeah, that was Matt. Matt spun at the Melody. And uh, me and Chris, no, no, Chris Regan wasn't there. It was just me. I think I just went down by myself to see this girl. And she had also invited another dude to see her. And then he wanted to get Coke. So do you remember this story? And I went with him. And we Uh went to a really bad part of New Brunswick because he needed me to no, no, I wouldn't go with him, but then he got in trouble and they knifed him or something and they stole his money. And then he said, will you drive me back there? I want to um, fuck them up. <laughs> like something. And I'm like, um, are you sure that's a good plan? And he had a truck with a stick shift, which I interestingly knew how to drive. And I said, okay. And I felt, I mean, it was funny because we were there to go out with this girl <laughs> like but we became friendly and then i drove him there and he ran out of the car and started <laughs> beating up these people but then he got jumped 
and uh, I I got back in the I got him back in the car, and we went back to the melody. And then he couldn't take it. He goes, "I'm going back there again." I'm like, "Are you out of your goddamn mind?" And then he went back, and I don't know how I heard the end of the story, but apparently he they they had him up and they had guns and knives or whatever, and he threw his keys into the bushes and uh so they couldn't have his car i i must he must we could did we have cell phones back then maybe he called me and i picked because we were looking in the bushes for his keys i i can't remember how the turn of events went i remember i didn't want to go back to that neighborhood it was terrifying some horrible place in new brunswick which i maybe they cleaned up now you know some projects neighborhood I thought the end of the story was going to be that they were so impressed that he kept coming back that they became friends. Well, I think they were. <laughs> I think that's why they let him keep coming back and didn't, you know, really mess him up bad. But I think they were just like, this guy, I was impressed. I'm like, this wow. guy's out of his mind. But that's I crazy. remember we were both there to see that girl. And she was, you know, she's like, oh, I see she invited all of her suitors this evening. <laughs> yeah, we can tell the caliber of those suitors yeah. from that story. Well, he was a nice guy. He was actually that was funny why we hit it off because he was actually really funny. He was insane, <laughs> but but he was he was a nice guy who just I just got you know he was just fucked up. <laughs> like, but, like if you had met him the next day, I'm sure he would have been very polite. <laughs> but we we used to have lots of people come in. I mean, like you know most uh, the day that um you know kurt cobain's body was found out in seattle and you oh know, i thought that, you were gonna say out in front of your trailer no 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 but um when when <laughs> out when in that, front of this place in new brunswick and these weeds he was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah he found a, some keys um no the yeah, uh, found a truck man, <laughs> yeah, man. But, uh, that that day um uh i don't know if you remember the band afghan wigs but uh, Greg uh Dooley, no I don't, and neither oh. does anyone else. <laughs> no, I mean, no, wait Mike a minute. Mike is just like, you might remember uh, Husker Du, and they were hanging out with them. That's the Afghan way. It's a matter with Hus- Husker Du, actually. But, uh, well, or, or, how about this one? Then um, Wait, I'm going to pretend to look at somebody else. You believe this guy? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Violent Femmes. You know them. I do. I've heard of them. Yeah. Uh, the um, They came by. They didn't perform. um at the station, but they came by to do an interview with, uh, you know, with, with Matt Pinfield and, um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, lead singer of the band. Jizzy McJizby. Help help me out on this, Dave. Come on. You can do this. I have no, is it Kirk Cobain? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, um, I just uh, said Gordon Gano, Gordon Gano, of course. Oh, he's good. Um, so he, uh, he was a big fan of, um, um johnny thunders who was in the uh you know he's like an early punk legend and uh um, yeah, wait i know that name what band was he was just in the go-go's documentary um he was was, uh, was he a san Fran- was he um a california guy in a punk band no new york he was um he was in in a version of the new york dolls um and he you know was um they definitely mentioned that and did you see first of all did you see the go-go's or do you want to finish the story I, no, that's fine. We can go on any good. I haven't oh. seen it. I've heard a great oh, thing about it. Oh, you haven't seen it? it? But, yeah, I don't I should have, have given uh, you an assignment before we got on the air. I watched it um, two days ago. It was excellent. Like, really excellent. You know, it's interesting. They, I'm friends with um, 
really close with this guy, Rick Newman, who I don't know if you remember, and he used to own Catch a Rising Star back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And we've become very close. And, you know, he used to manage Pat Benatar back in the day because she used to perform there at Catch a Rising Star. And his best, his best friends are Belzer, Joy Behar, and David Brenner. You know, he's old school. And he wants to do a documentary on Catch a Rising Star, which, you know, I was trying to help him with. And I got him even to Martin Scorsese's uh, documentary person uh, because he's always looking for documentaries. Um, and especially... Yeah, ones like that. But um, we need footage. And that's what he was saying. Like, do you have a lot of video archival footage? And unfortunately, I don't think he has that. And it's very clear that nowadays, the best documentaries are the ones with the video footage, which is why the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, was so compelling. There, it wasn't just those old documentaries where you zoom in on a shot, which is, you know, I'm like, all right, I get it. Um this was all video. You saw The Last Dance? The ESPN yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it terrific, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ten episodes. Stuff. Why? Because it's all video. It's story. It's news story. It's all stuff that they had and also found footage, like the Blair Witch Project. You know, I mean, it was like, it was fantastic. And that is why the Go-Go's documentary is so terrific. I wasn't even sure if there was one photo in it. It was all video. So it was, you know, when you have that kind of footage that hasn't been seen before. And then I got to thinking, I'm like, I should make a documentary about myself with the Dave Just Come Friends show. I got all that footage from the 90s in New York City in the 90s and stuff like that. You know, it's like in oh, a yeah. way. But um, well, plus but, you have all the, uh, you, you know, you have all the great clips from like, you know, all the shows that you were on. Yeah, uh, right, right. Exactly. Morton Downey and stuff like that. Just true. Joe Franklin. Uh, so technically, my biography would be terrific. But uh, but the Go-Go's one was great for that reason. And uh, first of all, I didn't even know. But that, that that's just the best story about when I didn't even know they had other members, you know. <laughs> but when they have other members and then they just you know, ask them to leave politely or, I mean, that's, I don't know why that's funny because I could see that happening to me a hundred times, but there is something Pete best about it that just becomes funny. But of course, when you, and I'm sure somebody like Pete Best realizes that it's possible the Beatles wouldn't become the Beatles if Pete Best wasn't in it or something. I mean, that's the thing. It's like an actor passing on a role, like uh, maybe Tom Selleck passed on uh, Indiana Jones, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but would it have been Raiders of the Lost Ark and five sequels if Tom Selleck was in it? You know, and that's the X factor that you always realize. So with these girls that were in the Go-Go's, which I didn't realize uh, were different, you know, maybe they wouldn't have gotten the success because they kept saying, this is when the band started clicking when we bought over this, you know, these other girls, which was complete. You must know the other two girls that were in the group that got, you know, kicked out. Not, not off the top of my head. I, I know oh, that it. What? You know what, Mike? Maybe this interview isn't working. Well, <laughs> no, I just thought you were cool. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I was just looking. Here's another um, uh, rock band. You remember the cult? I do. Okay, good, good. Because um, <laughs> I was just, I was just uh, conversing with somebody on Twitter about them this morning. And I looked, uh, looked them up on Wikipedia and you know how they have for bands, they'll have, you know, like if it's a, still a current band, it'll say like, the, you know, here are the members of the band and then it'll have a list for past members. Yeah. Yes. And, of and course. The, I look at this all the time. Yeah. Well, the, the cult has like 
four times as many past members as current members. I mean, it's humongous. The list it's, it, it, it doesn't, there's two bands um, that I, I, I was, I went actually looking one time to see who has the longest list of past members. And um, if you really want uh, to, to see something incredible, you have to have a band that is a large band that's been around forever. Um, like Chicago, Chicago would be up there. I think, uh, also, um, uh, not blanking on who I was just thinking of. There's also, uh, like parliament funkadelic had like a huge number of members. Um, yeah, here, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Come but on, George Clinton, you know, George Clinton. I can't stand that guy. Okay. Well, anyway, he, but, but, uh, yeah, Chicago had a huge number of past members and I think blood, sweat and tears, is another one that had a huge number of members. Cause you know, like they would cycle through horn players, like nobody's business. Well, that's why I mentioned Chicago. I yeah. There's another, yeah. A large band with a long horn, horn history. So long history of horn players. I um, also last night saw this movie I'd never seen, which my friend memo asked me to see called bringing up baby with uh, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. I've never seen it, but I know of it. I just watched it for the first time in 1938 and it's so weird because I'm saying, like, well, this is the exact same premise as What's Up, Doc, with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. And so then, of course, you know, I, I'm so fascinated. I always look up, I'm always looking up Wikipedia while I'm watching a movie. Even The Crown, I just keep looking up stuff. I'm like, wait, is this real? Is this real? You know, I'm fascinated with that kind of stuff. Thank God for Wikipedia. And um, yeah, they said What's Up, Doc was completely uh, based on bringing up baby because it's the same plot. But what I was fascinated by was that Catherine Hepburn, first of all, was, you know, I never found her attractive in any way. Um, and that voice became even more unattractive to me. I'm assuming really everybody in a way. I mean, she wasn't very feminine, <laughs> you know, the way I like my ladies. Um, but I, she didn't, wasn't making those movements and her voice was normal. Uh, I say in air quotes, uh, I always wonder when that all started. I was looking up like what, why her voice changed and her head nodding and I was looking it up and I guess it was some form of disease or something that she had. It's amazing that she was able to have, you know, go on 50 more years with, I don't think that would happen today. If somebody does, ah, and, you know, oh. I mean, yeah, it's, a, well, it's, it's quite amazing. But in 1938, she was normal. Is that okay to say? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I mean, obviously there have been actors who have, you know, had um, some kind of issue. Well, Michael J. Fox is the only one right now I can think of that still gets work because uh, he's so beloved. Yeah. Like Catherine Hepburn was, although that movie, because again, I was reading about it, was not successful. And they called her, which is so funny, box office poison ironically like ryan o'neill after what's up doc but um they called her box off with poison and she banked on herself and bought the rights to the philadelphia story and said i'm going to cast myself in it and that turned her whole career around hey, there um, you which go. is very imp- i mean but she's obviously very bright um and you know very and very interesting woman you know and just you know the way they were talking I, I watched it on turner classic movies so they were talking about like she didn't give a shit she wore pantsuits Nobody was doing that back then. Nobody. There was nothing on that goddamn cover. Nothing. And, and by the way, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that alternative rock band, Box Office Poison. They were great. I, 
Is I'm that making true? that up. That's not oh, true. Oh, you no, son no. of a bitch. I totally would have <laughs> fallen for that. Do you realize you could tell somebody a name of a band and they would just believe you because you're Mike Sonner? Well, but then the again, you can of almost, alternative music, you and Matt Pinfield. Almost any fake band name that you come up, it's probably already been used. <laughs> well, that's why we were, you were, gave me the Meat Puppets last week, and I looked all online to find out why you or other people used to call them the Mighty Meat Puppets and then why they were called the Mighty Mighty Meat Puppets. They or do I not know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's a, a band, the Mighty Lemon Drops and the no, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. no. Maybe it was the Mighty Mighty Boss Tone. <laughs> I could have sworn you guys were always calling them the Mighty Meat Puppets. And I looked that up and I'm like, this, there's no indication of them being called the Mighty Meat Puppets. No, I don't. That Maybe that was somebody just doing that as a shtick on the, on the air. Damn it. I was hoping you'd have the answer. I don't know. You know, what? Nope. the other movie I saw um, last week was the Woody Allen movie, A Rainy Day in New York, which is illegal to watch uh, <laughs> here in the States. Well, I don't yeah. think it's illegal. It's no, just I, I know it's much more exciting to say that way. Um, I felt like I bootlegged it old school, and I saw it with Timothy Chalamet and Selena Gomez, and it was pretty good. Clearly directed by an old man. Uh, there's just no other way to put it. It's very odd, or as my friend Lawrence calls it, lazily directed. But it was very entertaining. And uh, with, uh, it, you know, Typical Woody Allen is not going to be a classic, but it was it was good. In fact, it was bad in the sense of it's called a rainy day in New York, and I'm pretty sure it was shot while it was completely sunny, and there were just special effects because the the sunlight is coming in all the time while it's pouring rain. It's very clear they were filming on a very sunny day and just added in special effects somehow. They're like the one movie we wanted it to rain. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, did he, really did uh, Woody work in any, like, you know, hip modern lingo like the Google or iPods? That's a good question. I'm trying to think. I don't, I feel like he did. I feel like there was a Google reference, which I think uh, floored me, you know. <laughs> well, it, it's it's like, in, you know, like the classic joke about uh, the the original Star Trek is they would always have, like, to establish a concept, they would always have two Real world Earth things, and right? Then... Of course, that's my favorite thing. Uh, I do that with the tell all the time. I'm like, well, you know, all the people uh, in, uh, in Napoleon, Hitler, Andromedus. Yeah, right. Right, <laughs> <laughs> there would be, you know, great documents of history. You know, like the the Magna Carta, the Constitution of the United States, <laughs> and the uh, Pact of Rigel Twelve. Or you know, <laughs> there's always some, you know, the third thing in there and it, uh, that was, but that was brilliant though right no it's great you know it's it's it, it you establish the pattern with the two so that everybody knows that the third one has to be an example of that but it also is you know all right mike i'm going to give you some trip some beatles trivia question uh oh I've prepared oh boy. For you. mike Sauter, if you don't know is also a very very big beatles information guru he used to have a show while we were in college called breakfast with the beatles one of 400 shows with that name. I know, but still, I mean, you know, you know, when I have a Beatles question, I go to you. Did, my friend, um, this guy, Dave Schwenson, who's a comic, he just wrote a book called The Beatles at Chase Stadium. I think he self-published. But um, uh, I do enjoy, I don't know as much as you do, but I do enjoy seeing, like, if they have magazines and pictures and stuff like that. And I am, 
you know, it's fascinating that we're all still completely fascinated by these guys. What do you think is the allure and the, the, besides the obvious sense that they changed musical history? Why them? I mean, they, they not only changed music history, but they also changed uh, um, a lot of cultural history as well. I mean, they changed fashion. They changed, um, I mean, you know, the, a lot of the people experimenting with uh, Eastern religion uh, right. in the 60s was kind of inspired by George Harrison's um, uh, interest. Well, the whole band, you know, first got interested in the, the Maharishi and, and all that. And, you know, it, it, it's not to say that that stuff would not have happened otherwise. It's just that they happened to be kind of the 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 linchpin for a lot of that stuff happening and the you know cause of it because they were just so hugely popular i mean yeah but and know. rightly so too it's not like it, i mean their music was we never heard the likes of it before they did it a just, lot of it feels you know, like a, like a, a joke like they it's just strange that they were so talented and so far above you know the rolling stones are really great but this band was was sick like there just isn't anything like them until really we were talking about this the other day, right? Until Nirvana. No, I was talking about with Dennis D. Young. Until Nirvana really came around. There was no change. Would you say that or it's hard I mean it's hard to put it all on a band. I mean, Nirvana was they never had the depth of influence or I mean they they really I mean Smells Like Teen Spirit was a cultural moment where everybody it you know maybe not everybody but it was you know across across uh, across a lot of different boundaries and people were really really into that song and you know the the band um had a really interesting persona and Kurt Cobain was certainly an icon um but you know the thing about the Beatles is they were so incredibly restless in their they always wanted to evolve and change and that that's usually problematic for bands because their talent just can't back it up. Um, when you have, you know, you could probably think of any example of, of, of bands where they go in a totally different direction on a certain album and it's, it, it just doesn't have the same appeal. You know, people aren't their fans, you know, have to apologize for it and nobody's really into it. I always um, think of you too, as a great example of, um, you know, Octung baby, as an example of why they have lasting power. Pa yeah, lasting power, because that album uh, kept their style, but they also changed it just enough to roll with the new times. Do you agree? I, I agree that, that, yeah, with that one, um, it changed, but that was kind of, you can look at that as being their only really successful album. Not, not, not talking about commercially, but, you know, creatively very successful album of the 90s because... Um, they did Octung Baby and then they did Zoo. Um, was it Zoo? Was the next one? I don't and know. Pop. Um, you know, and, and they were just kind of, I don't know, I thought floundering a little bit and they had some good songs, but it, as an album, they didn't quite work. And then, and then when they had, um, uh, why am I blanking on the album title? The Be one Beautiful Day, right after uh, the, the, the New Century hit. And it was kind of a return to form for them. Um, but but sometimes, you know, and I think they were an example of, I mean, Octung Baby was a great twist on their sound. That's um, what I'm saying. But that came after um, they did um, Rattle and Hum, which was, they did that, 
documentary and then rattling hum had some stuff that was in the documentary but it had some you know brand yeah, new songs on it but it totally boring. it kind of changed their sound around from the joshua tree for that and they were able to kind of make those evolutions but but only up to a point because i never liked them i hated that joshua tree album i hated it so much i didn't like them at all but i did a, i did like octung baby yeah, well, it was. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that as well. But but I think the the Beatles, you know, like they starting, you know, uh, from from you know around like sixty five or so, they started evolving their sound with every album. Yeah, just isn't that fascinating? Out. And they were, you know, and it, it and it all worked. I mean, maybe not all, but the, the occasional uh, clunker. But uh, also, you know, I I think we were talking last. You know, Mike and I we go on we Zoom every Tuesday uh, with some college buddies, and I think. We were talking about last week how I saw George Harrison on uh, the Dick Cavett show, which was so great. If you ever get an opportunity, it's really simple to see on YouTube. He, uh, you know, talks. Of, he clearly didn't care for Yoko, which I know we know is obvious. But to, you know, kind of hear him, he's like, you know, who sat in that chair last week? Yoko. And he just gets up and he's like, oh, no, you know, like. And then he pretends he's joking, but it's very clear he's not joking. And it's very clear that she did break up the band. However, you have to always remember also, and again, <laughs> I think about this because it's from that thing you do, <laughs> the movie, that thing you do, this guy, you know, he says, some bands never last even six months. You never know what's going to do it. But the Beatles had a 10 year run. And that's pretty good for a band, right? It's very rare to be a Stones or a U2. A 10-year we forget sometimes because it was so devastating when they broke up and they just never got back together. And obviously there were mitigating yeah. circumstances which caused that. But, I mean, 10 years, I, you for, we forget sometimes. 10, re I mean, well, really good years. I mean, it was 10 really very productive years. Right. I mean, it was, it was, it was more like when you think about it, I mean, in the U S they didn't really get big until 64. So it was really yeah, six, 12, 12 years, years. six I mean, years. Oh, in the U S you're saying, well, they, they I always say from 64 of, to 74. Well, much. I mean, they broke up in 70. So, um, they broke up in 70. Yeah. It was April of 1970 when Paul announced that the Beatles were, well, when did let it be come out? 70. Oh, then why was I always thinking 74? I mean, there are uh, fans have for years have made like the uh, their own versions of like the next album because there are songs that the Beatles rehearsed uh, together that wound up being on solo records. Um, and so like kind of putting those together, you know, figuring out what, what could have made the cut. I mean, that's been a uh, a little pastime for Beatles fans. But really, I mean, when you think about it as solo Beatles, they were like all over the charts um you know in those early 70s years but that dick cavett one was really good because george harrison was saying like you know i really wanted to you know play some songs i was getting really good and i wanted to you know it's like i always thought he was so high he didn't care but apparently he really cared and he wanted to put his own music out well the problem for him was he was you know a very talented musician um but you know when you're <laughs> When you're in a band with Lennon and McCartney. Right. <laughs> but that's the amazing thing. And there it is. And there it is, right? You're in a band with Lennon and McCartney. And these two are the most iconic people maybe ever on the planet in, you know, since Beethoven or whatever, right? And um and then George Harrison is 
possibly equally as talented, right? And you forget about there's a third guy too who, you know, could be just as good. And he's really good musician, and he's really got some great songs in his head. That you know, again, if you can just get out, stops taking drugs, you know, might be able to put down on paper. Um, it's fascinating, you know. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, <laughs> it's and, like um, that's why you know how I always and I do it on the podcast all the time. I make fun of uh, Stuart Copeland every day for this guy just doesn't seem to get it. You know, he's like, he's so angry at Sting. Wouldn't you, if you were in a band and you found Sting, wouldn't you just be like, this is some sweet magic. I'll just do stuff on my own and just be grateful that I found Sting. Yeah. I mean, that guy's still angry. And and it's not like uh, he's I put out, we'd some, get along. Me and he's him. put out some good music outside of the police, but come on, it, nothing can right, hold but a it's funny that he thinks done. he's on par I mean, his drumming is really good, and he founded a new style of drumming, and that's great. But, you know, you're not going to compete with Sting in your songwriting. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. But it, it's funny that he's still angry about it. Sting yeah, you know, so great. I'll here's, show here's, him. Here's a little tidbit. I'll that, show uh, him by doing a, a Rumblefish soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did have – that was a great song he did with uh, Stan Ridgway of all no, – Wait, wait, wait. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I, I remember. I know because we were on the station at the time. Stan Ridgway from – don't tell me any of this. Stan Ridgway from the, the, the Mexican radio people, right? That's right. Um, damn it. Uh, ah, crap. I can't remember the name of the band. Wall of Voodoo. Wall of Voodoo. Was it Don't Box Me In? That's it, yeah. And that's him and Stuart Copeland? That's What's right. What's up, people? Just got right. wins. Here's, here's not a, look it up. You here's saw a tidbit for not you. not looking at anything. For, uh, um, you know, you had uh, um, Andy Summer also the, playing guitar. Who? <laughs> in the police. And he seemed okay. He seemed like he kept his mouth shut and kind of got it. <laughs> well, he was, he was older than the other guys. As a matter of fact, he... Um, when he was that. starting his career, he played guitar in like the last incarnation of the Animals. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, when it was just, I, I think it was probably just Eric Burden was the only original member of the group. And there was one song that he performed. Um, uh, they they did like he, he played an eight minute long guitar solo in this song. It's just insane. Uh, I have so you know in the Go Go's documentary, and this is ridiculously fascinating and major props for the police as a whole and what kind of gentlemen they actually are. There might be a lot of infighting, but the Go-Go's apparently used to open for them, um, which I did not know. And they toured with them around the world. And the Go-Go's first album, as you know, was, was sick. I mean, it went crazy, right? Uh, and past a uh, was it Zenyatta? What year in 81? Uh, what's Zenyatta? It wasn't Ghost in the Machine, I don't think. Zenyatta Mandata was? Maybe. I think that was 81. And uh, it passed them on the charts. And they came in and got them some champagne and said, you guys beat us. They were gentlemen. Can you imagine how many dudes would have a problem with that? And they didn't kick them off the tour. They loved that they were opening for them. That for me was the best part of the documentary to hear that these guys back then three dudes were so confident in the fact that they were still going to be fine that they had no they were not intimidated by these women I mean, think about that right i well, mean there's one you know that could have gone a completely different way with a different band 
True. Oh, there's one added wrinkle to that is that they were, um, I don't remember exactly whether it was a joint thing with A&M Records or, but they were, uh, the Go-Go's they, were. They were on the same label. Yeah, it was the manager. Well, IRS the- Records um, was run by um, Stewart's brother. That's Miles right. Copeland. That's right. Miles Copeland. He's in the documentary. I was wondering why his last name was Copeland. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that's not the, the wrinkle. It's, you know, they're the police. They could say, you know, he could say to his brother, I, we can't have it. I, we got to have him off. They're right. too popular. The audience is coming to see them. But that's still that's how big the police were. That wasn't the case. They were still gentlemen. It might be a kind of a wrinkle, but still, you know, it could get done or they could fire his brother or whatever. You know, I mean, Sting is Sting and he's still the man. I think and I think their dad, uh, the Copeland's dad, I think he worked for the CIA. And uh, so you think that's why they did? No, 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 no. That's not nothing to do with that. But <laughs> Listen, it's kind of uh, funny how you girls are going to make trouble. There's uh, well, they problem. both they, they both uh, they're the, the sons both had um, kind of uh, government related uh, outfits like IRS records and the police. Oh, that's funny. Oh, how interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. Oh, see, you're all right. <laughs> but no, it yeah, it was great to, and, and so um, the way they you know when they were talking about make, the Go Go's, I'm talking about they're talking about making their first music video, and you know like everyone they were like what are we, why are we we are this is such a waste of time, I can't even begin to tell you you know because nobody knew this is an '81 right, MTV's maybe on the air. August August 1st, 81. Right. So maybe it's not even on the air yet. And they're like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? It must have been, though. Although I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it must have been right because they're in 82, right? Okay. So um, they make the Our Lips Are Sealed video. And uh, and they the reason they got to make it was because the police made a video and they had they didn't use all their money from it. So the Go-Go's <laughs> got to use the extra money the police you know, didn't use, and that's how they made the video. Oh, and meanwhile, funny. then they said, you know, MTV just played it nonstop because it was so popular. I can totally remember it. And I guess um, that must have come out in the summer of 82 because I remember I was uh, in high school and I heard it, even though I know it came out in 81. Anyway, let's go with the Beatles trivia, Michael. Yes, yes. And uh, I'm just going to ask you some questions, and you, I'm not going to give you uh, – I don't think you're going to need the multiple choice – so let's just uh, try this, okay? Okay. All right. Which Beatle crossed Albee Road first? That was John Lennon. That's correct. Can you hear the bell dinging? <laughs> Did you hear it? Yes, I heard it. I thought it was something uh, happening in my house. What was the working title of With a Little Help from My Friends? Uh, that uh, was called Badfinger Boogie, and uh, they gave that name... Uh, Paul gave that name to a band called the Ivies, who changed their name to Badfinger. Wow. I like that you know all the other stuff, too. Who took Ringo's place on drums when he temporarily quit the band during the recording of the White Album? Uh, Complicated story, but a short (laughs) answer would be Paul. That's correct. It's complicated Yo, because... What's the story? Why, who the fuck is this guy who's walking out? Fellas, I just don't see it. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> he, was, he was just, uh, just you know, the White Album was, the, it wasn't their only musical project, but it was their first album after Sgt. Pepper. And he tells the story about the Sgt. Pepper album is where he learned to play chess. 
because there was so much like studio set up and, you know, the other guys doing their thing and recording things over and over again. And he would just like sit over in the corner of the studio with, uh, you know, one of their, um, and be lucky. He was in the Beatles. Who the fuck is this guy? Well, he was lucky, but he basically just went off on an unplanned holiday to a Greek Island for a couple of weeks. Why was he? Why? What does he care? What those guys are doing here? I mean, what this guy, I thought he got it. That's why everybody liked Ringo. He gets, he doesn't sing and maybe they throw him a song because they love him and he doesn't get the right songs because again, you're with Lennon and McCartney. <laughs> yeah, Dave, if you were in a group of, with three other guys doing creative stuff, you're, you're telling me that no matter, even if you were with people who you understood, like maybe they were more talented than you, you wouldn't get pissed off at times and, no, no, and walk I out? Would. No, I yeah. completely like that. But I thought he was cool. <laughs> I'm a mess. Yeah. I would never have been, you know, I would have been a mess. But, you know, being older, like they were in their 20s, so I get it. Being older, like now, in their, you know, in, in their 40s, I, I would sit there and just be grateful. Exactly. That never happened. Right. But abs, in my 20s, oh, forget it. I'd be furious. I'd be like, I who just, the hell are they? I they're, just remember. I, I should get Ted Danson money. I'm better than Ted Danson. You are like, worse. Like I think back, wasn't it? Um, uh, wasn't it that Caroline's show, that TV show that you did the Clarence Birdseye thing for? Yeah. Um, yeah. What does that have to do with anything? Well, no, I just seem to remember like uh, seeing like the the credits going or whatever, and there was one credit. I don't know if it was like for writing or something, but it was just like John Stewart, Louis C.K. That's right. Uh, I forget who the third was, and then you. Yeah, you know, and it was like, um, you yeah, know, but those guys—they were horrible. And but it, I know, but like, you know, proven that they're the worst writers and comics. No, I'm kidding. But I already knew those guys were more talented than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even say- back in '96, I knew I wasn't as good as them, and to just listen to whatever they said. But but you know, like I think if you guys were all like together as part of like you know, well, some I feel analogy- still that I really would give to them you know like the, when louis asked me that he wanted to direct that clarence birds i think it was an honor even in 1996 that louis wanted to do something like that he was already i mean i know we were all the same age and we started together but i when it came to stand-up comedy i knew that wasn't my strong point um maybe if we were acting together or something i would think differently but i knew those guys were better than i was certainly a stand-up comics and smarter in writing. I kind of knew even the crazy person I was and maybe a, a very egotistic. When you mentioned those guys and even a tell, I knew they were better stand-up comics than I was, you know, but then well, if there was somebody who I didn't think was good, I was mean to them like, uh, you know, Gaffigan <laughs> um, <laughs> who I had to apologize profusely for in the future, but I just told him he was a bad actor. I was wrong. It, it After started, I saw him on Broadway, I had to apologize and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, circling back to the Beatles, when Ringo left, Paul did the lion's share of the drumming, but um, Isn't that on, interesting uh, as hell? back in the USSR, uh, all three of the remaining Beatles had some hand in percussion. But isn't that the worst is that you leave and you're teaching them a lesson and then Paul just goes, I'll take over the drumming. Fuck that. You're like, you, you can do the drumming too. 
Like, well, at least they should have gotten somebody from the outside. The fact that Paul could just do it too, just like Prince, is not even fair. It's it's when when uh, John wrote uh, the ballad of John and Yoko, he was so excited to record it, and uh, George and Ringo were like off on holiday somewhere, and so the whole song is just Paul and John. Unbelievable, right? Um, which pop artist designed the cover of the White Album? Uh, I know this, but I'm probably going to not be able to remember it off the top of my head. Okay. Who is it? <laughs> it's this, some idiot named Richard Hamilton. And I say an idiot because what, what is there to design for the White Album? Who the fuck is this guy saying, like, hey, fellas, I just came up with a great concept. They're like, oh, this guy's a genius. He's a genius. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, two things. Uh, first I know is, you're going to say something that's not that way. <laughs> well, no, he had to. He had to decide where to position the logo. Oh, shut up! <laughs> no, but, but you and I could have oh, done that. But also, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, lower bottom, the the whole like a uh, minimalist kind of thing was was a, in avant garde art was such a big thing at the yeah, time. Yeah, but you and I could have faked our way through that. Well, totally. But John, um, John and Yoko recorded a couple of like avant garde albums. Why are you that pre- bringing out? up Yoko? You're ruining the podcast. Oh, stop. And uh, they, um, they, they recorded these albums and they sent out one, one of their albums to the uh, press to review. And it was a test pressing. So it was one album, but it was sent out on two, um, you know, two pieces of vinyl. And the other sides were just blank. But uh, one reviewer reviewed it as if it was a double album. And, and they reviewed, they said on, you know, two of the sides, there's just like uh, barely a tone audible that just very slightly... Because, you know, like all that avant-garde stuff was like that. So they thought... They thought that, that was supposed to be... Was like supposed to be that way. Barely audible tone that varied slightly in pitch. That's funny. Um, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Meanwhile, again, how are you credited for designing? That's just, that's just dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's why he was... That's why you didn't know who it was. Guy was never heard from again. He, I'm sure he framed that paycheck, though. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he did because they were well, the guy that did Sergeant Pepper was uh, Peter Blake, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What speaking of what did John Lennon change his middle name to? He changed it from uh, Winston to Ono. Yep. Why would he do that? Why? He later Why? brought back the uh, Winston um, as a pseudonym that sometimes they would record on on uh, you know put put fake credits for themselves uh like like george harrison credited the george o'hara smith singers on uh on one of his albums but um uh, john used uh, dr winston O'Boogie. <laughs> these guys are good man um why did the bbc ban i am the walrus um because of the i hope i got him i think i got him <laughs> Uh, it was because of the, um, what's the line about the nuns? Was it about that? No. No, what? Well, you're, you're kind of, you know, okay, so you know it's about the line, so you're kind of close, so I'll give you this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this is so funny. It's the line's pornographic priestess, so you were right, oh, r- kind of, and let your knickers down. You're right, right. You yeah. got to be fucking kidding me. Let your knickers down. 
Well, I'm the or a day in the life was uh, banned. You know, you BBC can't say or, uh, knickers anymore in the uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, a day in the life was banned from the BBC for uh, I'd love to turn you on. Really? See, have we come a long way? I'm not even sure anymore. Who knows? Who was the Beatles' original bass guitarist? Um, I can't believe I'm blanking out on his name. Can't right believe now. it either. Uh, <laughs> Stu Sutcliffe, of course. Oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah. Who was Stu Sutcliffe? Why do I know that name? He, I don't know why you know his name, but he was um, he was friends with John, and he was an art student. And John, oh, that's right, he was an art student that left the band. He didn't want to have anything. He left the band and went to an art student, and then he died a painful death. Yeah, he had a <laughs> he's an brain idiot. hemorrhage. I'm sorry. I know. I know that's horrible. But he probably had a brain hemorrhage for like, what have I done? I left. I go to art school. <laughs> he's like Rhoda. But his art. No, he really, he really couldn't play. Like he actually, um, I, I know it's he a, looked good, and he would sometimes like look. He would face, uh, face away from the audience when he was playing, just because he was embarrassed because he couldn't really play. I know it's just there's just nothing funnier than somebody leaving a band before they got famous, like on their own accordance. I mean that is right, just right. hilarious. Uh, who introduced John and George to LSD? Uh, it was George's dentist. I can't believe you know that one. That's a, I, I had no idea. What, my dentist did the same thing, but I just thought that was odd. I didn't know that was a thing where dentists them. do that. George's dentist, he dosed them uh, when they were going out uh, without their knowledge. Yeah. How does that guy still have a license? Because <laughs> it was the 60s. The exact opposite of the story of them taking out, I'm going to turn you on and then take it out. And then this guy still had a practice after he dosed them without their knowledge. Yeah. Everything is fakakta. Fakakta, Mike. Um, who was Got to Get You Into My Life written about? Hot. He knows everything. I did not know that. I did not know that. That was the... Uh, that's the that's all the trivia. You were oh, nice. you were very good. I gave you some a couple of toughies, and uh, what you know, I, and the I reason all one. why I did those was because I had no idea of those answers and uh, was very fascinated by that kind of stuff. Yeah, we've played my my family and I during uh, the, the the lockdown have occasionally played um, uh, Trivial Pursuit, and um, <laughs> it's just unfortunate whenever there's a music question that comes up for me because. There've been there've been one or two times where, you know, they'll get like five words out of the sentence, and I'll shout out the answer. <laughs> I'll just be able to guess what the question it. is. Um, the funny thing about Mike is, and this is why we could never not be friends, is that he actually named his daughter Quincy. I'm pretty sure it's after the show, the Jack Klugman show. Just I mean, let's just say it is, Mike. Let's just say it is. I, yeah, you know. <laughs> I always think it is actually. I is that not the case? <laughs> I just really assumed it was because Mike mean, is like us, and that's why he is a, a member of the Nightfly because he appreciates <laughs> all the nonsense that we like to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I really tried hard to talk my daughter, and this because this is a just on its own. Even if you take away any of the connections, this is just a great name for a girl. No, it's not not great. not Quin- not just Quincy. I mean, which it is, but like I had my number one pick. I tried to talk my wife into this, and she would not go with it. Uh, McCartney. Oh, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, if that you had you. like what a girl named McCartney, soda. 
Well, <laughs> but you're <laughs> seven. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> That's you. What are you talking about? He's my hero. He's you know he he wrote the White Album. <laughs> You're doing the George Costanza bit, but that's really funny. I love Quincy. Where did you actually get it from? It's not from the, or you just, I mean, um, a, it, for it, a girl it, too. That's it, so cool. It, it actually, my wife was the first one who suggested it. So really, oh, God, you really met your match. <laughs> but it, you. it really, it, it actually had nothing to do with uh, Quincy Jones or, you know, Quincy Emmy or any, anything. I just like thought that. it was about for sure Quincy M.E., Mike was one of the first people that noticed the difference for when those shows were on, like a Quinn Martin production, like Barnaby <laughs> Jones and all those yeah. things. And then when they switched to a QM production, yeah, Mike right. was like the first person to like notice that kind of act one murder for hire. <laughs> I, I used to do that. You were doing that in college. It was hilarious. Oh, yeah. That was, I, always I always thought I was it. the only one, uh, you know, that knew all that stuff. And it was so nice to meet. Mike, who knew all those ridiculous Mannix, Barnaby Jones nonsense stuff that oh, yeah. no one else knows yeah, except just, us. I always loved Barnaby Jones. Oh, just an old country boy. And then he would like <laughs> shoulder. He's like this old old guy who like shouldering indoors. <laughs> it just made no sense. It did make no sense. It was but so it was fun. Stupid. It was fun. It's like uh, when, you know, uh, talking about Quincy, the, uh, the, the show, the, um, <laughs> the, of course, the classic line that we would always kind of use to make fun of the first thing that you you'd think of when you think of Quincy is Jack Klugman being don't you care don't you even care <laughs> it was murder right right <laughs> I mean um yeah and we were but we were also really excited that Jack Klugman did well like everybody was excited that that was a hit because you just wanted him to be successful because he was so brilliant in The Odd Couple. And you were hoping for the same thing for Tony Randall, too. It just didn't work out. I mean, of course, it did in a way, but he didn't have a successful series after The Odd Couple. Yeah, he had uh, was completely the able Tony to... Randall show. Yeah. Playing I like judge, the opening. Yeah, judge, the judge, I think, Walter Franklin. And uh, um, Take what was the other one? Right? Sydney Shore. Love, Love Sydney. Sydney. Yeah, so that was a chance because he was kind of playing a gay character. They were alluding to it, right? Well, in the sitcom... What was the controversial part well, of Well, in the Love sitcom, Sydney? it was never referenced because the whole point of it, it was essentially like the odd couple with um, you know, a, a single mom with uh, a little kid moving in with Tony Randall. It was essentially that was like kind of the idea. But um, you know, in order to... It started off as a TV movie, Oh, is that um, right? And in the movie, it was there was a reference to the fact that he was gay. Uh, oh. Just one reference. In the sitcom, they never mentioned it, but it, that was enough to make you know the some people go crazy over. I just like the fact that those two were friends until the end. Uh, you know, if in fact Tony Randall was gay, and I assumed he was until he had those kids. And well, he was married twice, so. Well, everybody was married who was gay back then, so... Yeah, but he was married to his wife forever. I mean, uh, his first wife, Florence. Well, whatever the case may be, the fact that they became friends, and then when they, you know, when Jack Klugman had cancer and lost his voice, Tony Randall was still there. Like, it's just, it's wonderful to see if you're a big fan of the show, knowing that they were so close, and, they did you a, know. He, he talked him into doing a tour of the Sunshine Boys. I remember that. that. Oh, yeah, but that was just not... Because his voice was shot. It was over. Well, was, yeah, but it kind of gave him It was tough to listen to. to, to work but right, that, that's, how kind is that? Exactly. Yeah, and then they did that, the odd, that odd couple reunion uh, Which TV I still movie. liked. I liked the TV movie. Yeah. Their kids were getting married, right? Something it was, like that? 
Yeah, their kids were getting married. But the the funny thing about it, speaking of Klugman, is that it turned into a merge of The Odd Couple and Quincy because <laughs> because Klugman <laughs> wanted to murder. include like a, because obviously you know his voice was where uh, was Sam you know, in it. It was that horse. No, no, but 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 because because of that, like it, he had there was some whole subplot or like scenes talking about like cancer and you know like they worked that into the show. But it felt those parts of it felt like Quincy because it was you know all oh, this I medical explanation stuff. That's funny. Um, well, Mike, I mean, this has been so much fun. I mean, really, I, I hope this comes out okay. I hope it recorded correctly. I know I love our sound qualities are perfect. I have the good mic. You always have a great mic. I, I'm just hoping it sounds the way I want to on the podcast. You know what a stickler I am for sound. And um, thank you so much for being my my test guest. Yeah, my pleasure. Today. Can I want me to shoot you another ID while we're? Sure. All, All right, right let's, let's, do do it. let's do this one. I could probably guess what it is. Dave Jessica starring on The Nightfly. Prepare to be dazzled. What year is this? What year do you think it is? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Days all night, they all die. Right, okay, people, you have to tell me these things, all right? I've been frozen for 30 years, okay? Throw me a freaking bone here. My children, this is the most crucial and serious time of all history. The Nightfly with Dave Juskow. <laughs> that is way awesome. That is so cool. And thank you for playing the cars. Dave Curry will be very happy. You know, I had to throw that in there. Our cars fans, we appreciate that. Um, was this one thing I wanted to, one other thing I wanted to ask was about the music. No, I mean, I just, I so much love when you give me those titles and I get to research the songs and play them. I had such a good, I don't know if you heard last week's podcast and I was just, I was having such a good time and finding out that new order did pretty much the entire soundtrack for pretty in pink. Um, was fascinating. They did like four songs on it, which, yeah. you know, I only knew from hitting the songs and be like, Oh my God, this is new order. Oh, this is new order. You know, um, that was like, so it's so, it's just so much fun. I re- just remember those songs cause they are not part of my normal repertoire. Uh, you know, because I'm a more of the Huey Lewis guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, hey, yeah, you know, it's, which which is fine. That's cool. Make you guys very angry when we would put together the Nothing Special, which was our team. Well, no, it wasn't so much that. It was just the you know, I'm. I mean, now I like the song, but at the time I wasn't. I didn't think it was that cool to have. Uh, Let's hear it for the boy and <laughs> for Denise Williams. Yeah, I know what it was. I put that in too. Well, it, technically, you put it in a scene where it, I think it was in the Yuppie frat. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I guess so. I guess what did you want to of... use for that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, still, it was a... Well, whatever the case may be. Anyway, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Sauter, for coming. And uh, I uh, appreciate it. I am going to um, uh, sign you off. Sure. And then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say goodbye to my listeners. All right, How sir. Do you do that? Have a good one. By the way. Well, I'll just... I'll just uh, uh, I'll just depart the room. Mike, um, it's just a W-Y-E-P 91.3, and you can get it online? Yeah, org. Also, um, since we're... Uh, Are you the morning? Uh, no, you're the station manager, but don't you also DJ still sometimes? I fill in uh, when people uh, take, t- take time off, but I did just launch a new show. Um, you can tune in, hear me hosting 
Uh, it's a classic alternative show, kind of in the lines of what we were talking about back in the 90s. Um, it's called Slacker Rewind, and it's every Friday from 10 p.m. to midnight Eastern. So WYP.org slash listen. That's cool. All right. Mike Sauter, everybody. How about a hand for him? Woo! <laughs> All right. See <laughs> All you right. later. I'll see you later, Mike. Thank you. Well, everybody, that's our show for today. I hope it went well. I hope all you can hear everything and the clips and the sounds. And I just, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm going to put this up on YouTube and and see if it's uh, enjoyable in any way, shape or form. Otherwise, we just have our regular, normal podcast. I really hope everybody is doing terrific. As you can see, I'm great. I'm living in this really spacious apartment, and um, I'm just doing the, uh, the YouTube bit because um, you know you'll be able to if, if I put it up. If I decide it is quality, just got material. It'll be on the, the uh, Dave Juskow YouTube site, which I, I think there's one. I've had it there. It mostly just has the puppet pics up there, which has like three views. But um, otherwise, uh, podcasting wise, I will see everybody. Uh, next week, as usual, in a regular audio podcast. Until then, this is the Nightfly. I'm Dave Jeskow, and we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody.